I went in and got all the lights on, got everything set, and was getting ready to actually take a nap for that first afternoon. I don't know what a nap entails for you, but for me, after the traveling to India, it was about six hours. So the first thing I want to do is, is go check the window to see if the curtains are pulled tight. You ever do that when you go to a hotel? I mean, you got to get the curtains tight because you want to block out as much light as possible. And then I decided to open and just kind of peek out and see exactly what was outside my hotel room. Like the pictures on the wall, the curtains were just a decoration. There was no window back there. There was nothing there. Which was absolutely perfect for catching a long nap. Uh, after a long flight on that afternoon. And so, so that was pretty good. But when I turned out the lights, man, it was dark in there. And um, I had, Nancy will let you know if you ask her. Don't ask her because it's kind of embarrassing. But So I'll just tell you, when I go to a hotel room, I like cover up every light I can find. Clocks, I unplug. Microwaves, I unplug or I cover up the light. I shove towels at the door to keep the light from filtering in from underneath in the hallway. It's, I don't know, I guess I'm kind of fanatical about that. I, I like it dark when I want to sleep. But when I'm up and moving around, I need a little bit of light. Light's kind of important to us, isn't it? I mean, light helps us not to stumble around in the darkness and trip over things or stub our toe, which always hurts much worse at night than it does in the daytime. But light's also good for other things. Light certainly makes the plants grow, which we appreciate because that keeps us all alive. Light also is a mood enhancer. Um, it can be depressing just to have gray skies and, uh, for long periods of time. And, and when, the, when the sun starts shining, it just kind of boosts your mood a little bit. And so light's kind of an important thing for us. We also use light during celebrations. Uh, for instance... At Christmas time, what do we string on our house or put in our in our house? Lights. We we brighten it up with with lights. A birthday cake comes out. It is lit with candles. On Independence Day and at other times of celebration, we shoot fireworks. As a matter of fact, Indian weddings, which happen often at the hotel we were staying in, had fireworks. I was told not to worry. They have to quit at 10 o'clock at night. So I didn't go tell them I'd like to be asleep by 9, but that's okay. But fireworks, celebration, light. And we're not the only culture to do that. They do it in India. They also did it in ancient Israel. There was a festival that they celebrated. There were three major festivals for which they asked the people to go back to Jerusalem to celebrate. And one of those was the Festival of Booths, also called the Festival of Tabernacles, uh, or Sakat in Hebrew. This, this was a festival that celebrated the deliverance of the people of Israel out of Egypt, their journey across the, um, in the wilderness for 40 years, and then that God brought them into the promised land. And so it was a big celebration. It was a joyful time, a, a time of singing. And, and they called it booze or tabernacles. And the way they would remember that and honor that is they would actually go and they would build in their around their house or in the streets or wherever they could find they would build these these hastily put up booths or or tabernacles they they'd build a kind of a shelter and they would eat their meals in the shelter and as they did so they would remember how God carried them through the wilderness and brought them into 
the promised land. And so this was a, was a lot of singing, a lot of joy, a lot of festivities go, went on during this festival of tabernacles or festival of booths. And part of that was a thing called the illumination of the temple. In the illumination of the temple, and obviously this was practiced in, in Jerusalem when the temple was built, um, out in the courtyard of women, if you ever take a look at the picture of the temple, there's the temple proper, that is where the Holy of Holies is and where the priests work, but outside that's a large kind of a courtyard. And that was a court of women, and it was an outside kind of thing. And out there, there were four large candelabras. Some, some scholars say that they could be, have been as high as 75 feet. So it was really, really huge candelabras that were oil, cand, uh, that burned through oil. And that they'd be lit during this, this illumination of the temple. And according to records, the light was bright enough that it actually illuminated the entire city of Jerusalem. Now, that sounds like it might be a slight exaggeration. Perhaps what they meant is that the light could be seen from all over the city of Jerusalem. But it was a big deal, this illumination of the temple. And we're going to read a verse here in just a moment that was probably spoken during, maybe near the end of this Feast of Tabernacles, and specifically this illumination of the temple portion. Uh, And the reason we think that is because in John chapter 7, that is the time that's being referred to. And the passage we want to look at is actually in John chapter 8. And so if you've got your Bibles, I'd encourage you to turn to John chapter 8. We're going to look at one verse. It's verse 12, but we'll talk about it a good bit. John chapter 8, verse 12. We're going to be in John for the next few weeks. So if you want to just kind of stick a bulletin in there or something to remind you, if you want to take notes, we've given you an opportunity on your handout. Not only have the notes that you can follow along with some of the scripture, but on the inside of that is um, an area if you want to write some things down uh, to remember. Now, the Festival of Lights, I mean, not the Festival of Lights, that's something entirely different. That's something I think they do at Lake Lanier or something, I'm not sure. The illumination of the temple, it was there to remind them this bright light of the pillar of fire. Do you remember this from the Exodus as they came out? God showed up in this pillar of fire and and then in the daytime, it was a pillar of cloud. And this was God's presence with them that guided them through till they got to the promised land. Uh, It would also remind them this brilliance is shining there at the temple, remind them of of the Shekinah glory of God. We're gonna talk about that a little bit more but how God's glory came and filled that tabernacle out there in the wilderness and then later in Jerusalem filled the temple. And so with this in mind, I want us to see verse eight, uh, verse 12 of chapter 8 of John's Gospel where Jesus says this, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Father God, help us to understand what it is that Jesus was trying to say to the people then and to understand what Jesus is trying to say to us now that we might not only have greater understanding but that we may have a greater appreciation of who this Jesus is whom we worship and we may have greater motivation to share him with those who need him so desperately. This is a dark, dark world And we need the light of the world. We need Jesus. 
And we pray this in his name. Amen. You may remember last week I told you there's seven I am statements in John's gospel. They're very significant because if you go back and you look at I am, it it ties us all the way back with Moses' introduction to who God was at the burning bush where God says, I am that I am. He gives Moses his personal name, that personal introduction. And so Jesus, when he's using these I am statements, he's not just using it the way you and I use it. He's using it to declare his divinity, but also to tell us something about himself that is very, very significant. I am the light of the world, Jesus says. He's telling us who he is and what he came to do. And I believe that this illumination of the temple um, celebration, I believe that this helps us understand what Jesus is trying to say in that context a little bit better. As we understand that, and we, we can understand a little bit more about who he was saying he was to the folks who were listening to him. Just as a pillar of fire guided the Israelites from their captivity in Egypt all the way to the promised land, Jesus guides us from captivity to freedom. Think with me. Jesus guides us from captivity to freedom. As the children of Israel left Egypt and they began their 40-year journey, God was visibly, listen to this, God was visibly present with them, unmistakably present with them. You go out, you throw the tent flap back, and you see that pillar of cloud, or you see that pillar of fire, and you recognize not only did God say he was going to be with us, I can look right there and tell that God is with us. And what would happen is, when, the, when that pillar of fire, that pillar of cloud would, would move, then the people moved. And when it stopped, the people stopped. God was guiding them step by step from their place of captivity to that promised land, that place that God had prepared for them and opened for them and made for them. They were never without guidance. They could look and see that they were never Alone, God was guiding them all the way from captivity to freedom. And we come to know Jesus. We see that he is God's abiding presence with us. He is God's abiding presence with us. Now, our captivity was not in Egypt. Our captivity was to sin. And we've been set free from that. Jesus broke the chains of sin and death. He set the captive free. It was his blood shed on Calvary's cross that paid the price for our sins and set us free. And Jesus promised to his disciples in the 28th chapter of Matthew, he promised them this, I will be with you always to the very end of the age I will be with you I'm not going to leave I'm with you I'm with you and sometimes we feel abandoned sometimes we feel alone we have a promise of Jesus never to leave us but 
But you may be sitting out here going, well, pastor, that's all well and good, but I can't throw the tent flap back and look and see a pillar of fire, see a pillar of cloud. I wish somehow I could have this Jesus with me in a a tangible, physical way. You know, if I could just, if I could just see him, if I could just reach my hand out and, and, and touch him, if I could just hear the words spoken directly from his own mouth, Pastor, if I could have that, then my faith would be so strong. I could stand against all the struggles that come my way. If I just had that, then I would have a faith that is unshakable. Now, if that's you this morning, I've got something important I want to share with you. And I believe we all need to be reminded of this. Jesus is visibly and tangibly with us. Now, some of you are looking around going, okay, I didn't see him come in. I didn't see that name tag that said Jesus of Nazareth. Uh, you know, I, I missed him. Where is he? And here's what I want to tell you, because this is completely straight from the Bible. He is here. How do I know that? Because the church is the body of Christ. Now, I'm I'm not trying to play tricks with you. I'm not trying to do a bait and switch here. I think it's critically important that we understand this. And I also think it's important that the world understand this. We are here as Jesus' hands and feet. We are not the head, but we are the body of Christ. We are the visible expression of the kingdom of God on earth. That is who we are as the church. Now, I know we do not fulfill this role perfectly. We do not love perfectly. Listen, I'm not telling you anything there you don't know, right? (laughs) Uh, We fail at loving. We, we, We mess it up. We don't have the full understanding and wisdom that Jesus had. We, we don't have the same confidence in our Father, the same faith level that Jesus had. I, I understand that. That is absolutely and perfectly true. But God has not given up on his church. He hasn't given up on his people. He still looks at us and calls us his own. He still looks at us and says that you are holy. You are a people who are set apart for a purpose. You are a holy nation in my sight. And although there may be many people out there in the world who slammed the church, many people who in the world who've given up on the church, and maybe even many people in the church who've given up on the church, God has not given up on his church. You need to understand this. The church is plan A, and there is no plan B. God's not going to say, well, the church thing didn't work out too well. So let's get rid of the church, and let's do something else. No, this is it. We are here to occupy until Jesus comes back. 
We're here to be the hands and feet and the voice of Jesus until Jesus returns. We are plan A. And if the world is going to hear that there is life and light in Jesus Christ, they're not going to hear it from CNN and they're not going to hear it from Fox News. They're going to hear it from the church. This is critically important for us to understand. If you're looking visibly for Jesus, if you're looking tangibly for Jesus, look around. We're it. And it is such a blessing as a pastor to see that when people have critical needs in their lives, that the body of Christ, the church, responds. No, you do not have the tangible Jesus coming and sitting down and putting an arm around you when you're weeping. But you have the body of Christ to do that very thing. To come and to be with you physically present because God knows we need that. We need that touch. We need that voice. We need to see someone crying with us, weeping with us, laughing with us. We need that. God created us like that. And so God provided it for us. It's the church. It's the body of Christ. And you and I are a part of that body. The church is the body of Christ. The church is the bride of Christ. And it bothers me so much when I hear people running down the church. Because quite honestly, I wouldn't want you talking badly about my wife. My, I don't want you talking badly about my bride. I don't think God gets too excited to hear people inside and outside the church running down his bride. Yes, we have our faults. We have our failures. But we are plan A. We are the body of Christ. We are the bride of Christ. And we are here for a purpose. We are people who are filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit. He indwells in us. We are the visible expression of the kingdom of God on earth. And I know this because Jesus has shared it with us. He says in Matthew chapter 5, now remember, Jesus is the light of the world, okay? So he has permission to say this. As the light of the world, Jesus says, you are the light of the world. This is pretty cool because, and we'll talk about this when we talk about God's glory here in just a minute, the Shekinah glory of God. Um, we read about Moses going up onto the mountain to meet with God. And then when Moses came down, he was shining, not with his own glory, but he was shining with the glory of God. He'd been in the presence of God, and therefore the glory of God just kind of rubbed off on him, and he came down shining the light of God. And in the same way, we aren't, we aren't the light. We don't create the light. We reflect the light. Jesus is the light of the world. It is his light that they, we reflect to the world. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. And a city that's on a, set up on a hill cannot be hidden. This is pretty cool because in a lot of the cities, uh, they were made with a, a light stone or marble type thing, or many of the homes would have been whitewashed. They'd have been painted white. 
And so a city on a hill would be gleaming in the sunlight. It had, remember, it had in the daytime no light of its own. The only light it could reflect would be the light of the sun. A city set up on a hill cannot be hidden. And and Jesus says, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. We'd lock those people up. That makes no sense. You don't light a lamp and put it under a basket, but you put it on the stand. It gives light to the all who are in the house. In the same way, Jesus said, let your light so shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. So Jesus guides us from captivity to freedom and life. He is our only hope of deliverance. There is no other means to be delivered. He is the light that leads us out of the darkness and finally brings us into the promised land. And the church, he's called each one of us, the church, to shine brightly his light so that we might join him in his mission of setting captives free. Again, how do I know this? Because God says so. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we read, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... That would be any one of you out here who is a follower of Jesus Christ. Okay, that he's talking about not just people back then. He's talking to us. If anyone is in Christ, I'm not going to get you to raise your hand, but are you in Christ? If you're in Christ, this is for you. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself, that is, brought us, brought us back in the right relationship with him. And look at this, gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And so in Christ, God has reconciled us to himself, and then he said, okay, now I'm giving you that same mission to go and to do this with others. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. Remember, we're the church. We are God's plan A. God making his appeal through us. We implore you, therefore, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled. Be reconciled to God. And if anyone's sitting here today who does not, who's not in Christ, who does not have that relationship with God, we implore you as the church, as the body of Christ, be reconciled to God. Come to God through his son, Jesus Christ. For our sake, he made him, God made Jesus, who, who knew no sin, to be sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so what we see first is Jesus is the abiding presence of God with us. The second thing that we note from this that's important for us to see is that Jesus expresses fully the Shekinah glory. Jesus expresses fully the Shekinah glory. Now you're sitting out there, some of you are going, okay, I know exactly what you're talking about. Some of you are going, I have, I have never heard that Shekinah word before. Is that, did, did somehow autocorrect change that word for you? And the answer is no. 
So let me tell you, let me explain to you this morning, for those of you who need it, what Shekinah glory is. First of all, the word Shekinah. If you, if you go, I've never seen that in my Bible, you're absolutely right. That word does not appear on the pages of Scripture. Its literal meaning is dwelling or one who dwells. Now, I want you to keep that in mind. Dwelling or one who dwells. The rabbis use this term in order to speak of the radiant and personal presence of the Almighty God in all His glory. Now, what's the word glory? The word glory can be defined, this is from Wayne Grudem, uh, theologian, the visible manifestation of the excellence of God's character. The visible manifestation of the excellence of God's character. Or as John Piper has put it, the manifest beauty of his holiness. In other words, when we talk about glory, we're talking about the essence of who God is. And it shines. It, it, it comes through him. It is unmistakable. It is undeniable. It is unmissable. Uh, it, it is in him, but it comes out. It is the essence of who he is as God. It radiates from his character and it is expressed and is experienced in Scripture through brightness and brilliance. In other words, when we read in Revelation about the one who sits on the throne, we read that he shone like the sun. He was so bright. Have you ever tried to look at the sun? I wouldn't recommend it. It, is, it, it, it can be brilliant for a moment and painful for a long time. Okay, you do not want to stare at the sun. When you look at the sun, I mean, we, have, we wear sunglasses to keep, keep that brightness down. We wear caps and hats in order to shade us from that we we get out of the sun we go find a tree to find some shade because we recognize the brilliance of the sun and all you know we can't we can't look directly at it and in scripture that's exactly what we see happening when God shows up or even when one of God's angels who's been in his presence shows up it is brilliance it is brightness and people just hit the deck they cover their heads. They cover their eyes. They cannot look directly at the presence of God's glory. It was the glory of God, the very glory of God. That was the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire. It was the same glory that covered Mount Sinai. In Exodus 24, we read that the glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai and the cloud covered it six days and on the seventh day, he called Moses out of the midst of the cloud. It was the same glory that, sh that shone on Moses' face when he came down from the mountain. It was this glory that filled the tabernacle. We read in Exodus 40, And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because a cloud settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. Or it was, and it, the tabernacle. And it was that same glory that later filled the temple. Putting all this together, if I could kind of maybe put it in a sentence, the Shekinah glory is God's glorious personal presence or God's shining, brilliant personal presence. It's interesting that as I go back and I look at what theologians and preachers have said about glory, 
they have a hard time coming up with words for it. Because it is so far beyond our human experience. We can be in awe of a celebrity or in awe of a politician. We can be in awe of those kinds of people, but it's not the same kind of glory. They don't have that kind of glory. There is really nothing in our human experience that can describe what it is to stand in the glory of God. And to be honest, as human beings, we'd have to do what everybody else in Scripture did. When God showed up, we'd have to hit the deck. But there's coming a day for those of you who are in Christ, There's coming a day, the Bible says, when we will see him as he is. For we will be like him. It doesn't mean we'll be God. But all of our sin, all of our flesh, all of those things that hinder us from beholding the glory of God will be removed and we will see him as he is. We will be able to behold the glory of God shining brighter than the sun. So the Shekinah glory is God's glorious, brilliant, personal presence. And what the Bible tells us is that Jesus came as the glorious, personal presence of God. Now, let me just string some scriptures together for you. And so if you can... Maybe you can keep up with this. They're not all printed in your handout, but they will be up on the screen. John 1, verses 4 and 5. In him, that is Jesus, was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not overcome it. John chapter 3, verses 19 to 21. This is the final judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come into the light lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what's true comes into the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Jesus said himself, just as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. The apostle Paul wrote, for God said, let light shine in the darkness. Uh, for, who said, let light shine in the darkness has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And in Hebrews we read, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. So when Jesus was saying, I am the light of the world, he's not only saying, I am the one who leads you from captivity to freedom. He is also saying, he is the glorious, personal presence of God on earth. Now, when Jesus walked on the earth, much of that glory was was hidden. People couldn't see past the flesh. Jesus didn't walk around lit up like a light bulb. Okay, he didn't walk around with a halo. There was nothing glowing about him. He looked like everybody else in his physical, in his humanity. John wrote, the word became 
flesh, that is, Jesus became flesh, and he dwelled among us. But then he said, but we have seen his glory. The glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. When did John see his glory? Didn't John see him like everybody else? There was an occasion where Jesus took his three closest disciples, Peter, James, and John, and he took them up onto a mountain. It's called now, we call it the Mount of Transfiguration, but that's not what they called it. And they got there, and Jesus had this meeting with Moses and Elijah. Well, that's pretty cool. And God, and Peter was pretty impressed. They were all pretty impressed. Peter wanted to, build them a tent and say hey listen this is awesome let's just hang around here for a while and and god spoke and said hang on this is my son and 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 then the the glory just descended and jesus was transfigured changed before them and so john would be able to write later we've seen his glory we have beheld him in a way that few people have. We have seen the brilliant radiance of his presence. So as the people celebrated this Feast of Tabernacles and as they enjoyed the illumination of the temple, here's what everyone knew. Everyone knew that in just a day or two, those lamps would be extinguished and they'd be put up for another year, just like your Christmas lights or just like your birthday candles. That this light was just a temporary thing, a reminder for us of something else. They knew that the joyous songs that they sang day after day, that those songs would be ended and they'd close that book and maybe they'd sing those same songs again next year. They knew that things would go back to normal. Jesus' proclamation, Jesus' bold declaration, I am the light of the world. In saying that, what he was saying to them is, there is a light that never fades, that's never extinguished, that's never put out. Unlike the lights in the temple, Unlike the lights in your home, I am the light of the world. Those who walk in my light will never walk in darkness. They will have the light of life. 700 years before Jesus was born in Bethlehem, the prophet Isaiah would write for seeing what was coming. He would write these words. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. Jesus is the light that shines in the darkness. He is the light that leads us from captivity to freedom. He is that glorious personal presence of God with us. Jesus is a light. 
of the world. Do you know him? Is he the light of your life? Do you recognize that you have a a relationship with Jesus that is so real and so vital that you will never walk in darkness because you have the light of life with you? If you do, that's reason to rejoice, but it's also reason to share, to be now the light of the world. If you don't know that you're in the light, if you still believe that you're in that darkness of sin, you're in captivity to sin, but you want to be set free, then I'd like you to come meet our Jesus, the light of the world, the hope of the world. If you need Jesus, then we invite you to come. In just a moment, we're going to sing a song. And as we do, if you believe that you need Jesus more than anything else, then I want to invite you to come and and meet him face to face. There are those of you who need a church home. We invite you to come and find your home with us. There are those who simply need to come and pray for others or pray for yourself. Please take this time to do that as well. Whatever it is that God's led you to do, We want to encourage you to come. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word and for Jesus who is our light. And I thank you personally, Father, that because of Jesus, I not only have life in this light, life, but I but I also have this expectant hope that one day I will see him face to face and I will be like him that I will experience that glory undiminished firsthand. Lord, for those who are struggling this morning, who need to know that experience, who, who are fearful that if their life was extinguished right now, that that light would be extinguished along with it. Lord, that they need Jesus. I pray, Lord, that you draw them by your spirit. There are those who need a home, a church to belong to, to be part of, this local expression of the body of Christ, Lord, then if you're calling them, would you you just pull them by your Holy Spirit to come? And Father, if there are those who simply need to come to you and pray, perhaps to confess to you that they've kept their light under a bushel, that they've hid their light, refusing to shine it with others. And maybe, Lord, they just need to come and confess and get a brand new start today. Whatever it is, Lord, you call us to, we say yes. In Jesus' name, amen.